Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever you may be listening from. It's Blake Sorensen, and thank you once again for tuning in to the Stack in the Box podcast. So, on Monday's podcast, we talked about, I believe it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep, and that was a team that I think has, um, it's, it's being mediumly rated right now. You know, some people think that Big Ben is going to turn them into a 13-win football team. Some people think that they're just going to perform kind of the same. So that that's, a, that's definitely a very intriguing team. This team also has a wide range of outcomes, in my opinion, the Houston Texans. Now, a lot of people think that the Houston Texans are a lock to make the playoffs in contention for the division. You know, a lot of people see it as a two-horse race between Tennessee and Houston, and not a lot of people are taking Indianapolis seriously. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge Indianapolis guy. I think they have a great team, and I personally think they're winning the division this year. And I think second place belongs to Tennessee, who I have ahead of Houston, not by much. Houston, <clears throat> I think Houston is tremendously overrated by the masses. I think Vegas gets it right. Vegas has them at a seven and a half win total, and. I know what they're capable of. They have potential. Excuse me. It's not like they don't have good pieces on this roster. They do. I think a lot of their problems stem from coaching, primarily, and just lack of talent in certain positions. I don't think they are the most talented roster in the league. I think they are actually a very mediocre to bad roster, really looking at it. But we'll get into that in the depth chart. Last season, they went 10-6. and And... I could see them going ten and six again, maybe, but I don't think I don't see that happening. I don't see them repeating success. I realistically, if you had to ask me, if I'm if I was a betting man, which I am not, I would bet on Houston having a top ten draft pick before I bet on them making the playoffs. That's how low I am on Houston this season. Now seven and a half, it's 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 an interesting number. I could see them finishing eight and eight, but. I think they're more in the five to six win, and not because of the talent of their roster. I think they have some very talented pieces. And you're going to hear me bring up sometimes talking about how I don't think their roster is insanely talented because I don't, but they do have good pieces to be a good team. It's it's interesting. You know, Bill O'Brien has kind of screwed this team over, but he's also done some decent. It's We'll get into everything. Additions. Oh, oh, sorry. Bill O'Brien, head coach, GM, we all know that. Offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly. Defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver. This is going to be Anthony Weaver's first year as the defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. And offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly. It's his second year in the position, but it's going to be his first season calling plays. Bill O'Brien has was previously calling plays, and he just gave it up now to Tim Kelly this season. I think that's a good thing. Because I do genuinely think that Bill O'Brien is on the hot seat. And you may be like, what, Blake, he ain't on no hot seat. They went 11-5 and five two seasons ago. They went 10-6 this year. You know, like, these guys can play. You know, they were up, what, 31-7 to like seven on the Chiefs in the playoffs this year or something like that. Okay. Okay. But let me – Bill O'Brien is 52-44 and 44 as a head coach. He's 2-4 and four in the playoffs. Not very good. He's an offensive guy, right? He was an offensive coordinator with, for the Pats in 2011. Hey, go in the other room, buddy. Go in the other room. Sorry, it's my dog. It's my dog. If you can hear him, I'm sorry. Go. Go. I let you outside already. You have food. I know you do. You're fine. Okay, sorry about that, guys. Sorry. Anyway, top 10 offense. He's never had one, you know, in terms of yardage or points per game. 
him as an offensive play caller. He did in New England in 2011, right? He had the, I want to say, second in points, third in yards in terms of total offense in New England. So maybe he's not built out to be a head coach because he's 52 and 44 as head coach, two and four in the playoffs. He gave up his play calling. And then a thing that really was damning to me because in a, the couple games I watched this season, I noticed a lot of penalties from these guys. Now, they didn't lead the league in penalties or anything like that, but they did lead the league in pre-snap penalties with 57. That's a discipline thing, man. A lot of pre-snap penalties, you're thinking the defensive and offensive lines, okay? That's just straight undisciplined coaching, right? Good coaching is not going to allow for silly pre-snap mistakes. Pre-snap penalties, five yards here, five yards there. That's just not going to happen. It's just not. And that, um, now it may, you know, you may look at it and New England might have the second most. I don't know. But that just doesn't seem – the pre-snap penalties are maybe not a direct correlation to crappy coaching, but it's definitely something that's like, come on, really? So he's never – he's an offensive guy. He's had he's finally got his quarterback for what the past two or three years, and he still has never been able to notch a top ten offense in points or yardage terms. He's had the best one of the best quarterbacks in football, talent wise and potential wise. He's had probably the best wide receiver in football over the last couple of seasons. He's had pieces. He had Lamar Miller, who's a decent running back for a little while. You know, he Will Fuller. He's had a great one two punch if Fuller could just stay healthy. He's had decent weapons on offense to be able to make this thing work in it. He hasn't. Um, so some of their key additions that they added in free agency and through trades are Randall Cobb. Don't really see the need for this one here. That was kind of a weird one to me because I don't even, at the time they signed Randall Cobb, they had DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills. It wasn't making a lot of sense to me. So you really need him as your fourth. But anyway, so they signed Randall Cobb, Eric Murray, Jalen Watkins. Those are just depth, like secondary guys. Then they go out and trade for David Johnson. And we're going to get into the absurdities of that trade in a second. Some of their losses, they lost DJ Reader, decent interior guy. They lost Carlos Hyde, who, um, let me double check, but I'm almost a thousand percent sure he was a thousand yard rusher last season. Yep, he rushed for a thousand yards and six touchdowns last year. So they let him go. Uh, they lost Barcavius Mingo, nothing huge there. Tashawn Gibson, one of their starting safeties, they lost him. And, oh crap, they lost. One of the best receivers in football in DeAndre Hopkins. In a, in a crappy return for him, too. What was that DeAndre Hopkins trade? I want to say they got David Johnson in a second. DeAndre Hopkins trade. Here we go. To the Arizona Cardinals for David Johnson and a fourth-round pick. A fourth-round pick. They really got David Johnson in a fourth? For one of the best receivers in football? What the hell? Horrible. That's awful. That's horrendous. And a back that you already... Like, so I watched a couple of Texans games last year to kind of get a feel for everything. And they were more effective offensively when they were running the football, when they were getting good production from their running back. The one that was really flashing on tape was Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde looked really good last year for Houston. He ran for 1,000 yards. He had 245 attempts. 4.4 average, which isn't great, but that's still a decent number. You know, he played well last season. I liked I, I watching him. He was a powerful between the tackles runner who was doing a lot of good things and helping Houston out a lot. Now, 
Duke Johnson was a little bit more of their third down back, get him out in space type of guy. That's what David Johnson is. So now you just doubled down on essentially two of the same running back, which didn't make a lot of sense to me, given how effective they were when Carlos Hyde was running efficiently. So that didn't make a lot of sense for me to go after David Johnson, giving up DeAndre Hopkins. I I don't even know. So I'm, I'm also very interested to see how Deshaun Watson does without DeAndre Hopkins because – a young quarterback having such an elite receiver helps him out so much. And I'm, I'm interested to see if it creates kind of a dependency for him. Is he dependent on needing that stud receiver there? Is he going to be able to make it work without him? You know what I mean? Russell Wilson never really had that when he was coming up with um, Seattle. He never really had a big, huge number one like that. You could argue Andrew Luck had T.Y. Hilton, but T.Y. isn't anywhere near the level of prime DeAndre Hopkins. You know what I mean? Um trying to think of anybody else kind of fits into that category but but anyway I'm very interested to see Deshaun Watson without DeAndre Hopkins is he going to take a step up is he going to regress personally I think he's going to regress a little bit because he still has a really good receiving course I don't think he's going to bottom out you know Will Fuller Brandon Cooks Kenny Stills Randall Cobb Kiki Cutie they have five quality wide receivers you know so it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to that and what goes down. And I have problems with the receiving core. Don't get me wrong, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, in terms of stats last season and points per game, they were 12th was 23.9 yards per game. 11th with 366.3 turnover differential. They had a flat zero. So middle of the pack. Now defense was really kind of where they struggled points per game allowed 25.3, which is 23rd in the league yards per game allowed 392.9, which is 28th in the league. So they had a bottom half defense. And J.J. Watt missed a lot of time last season. But other than that, their defense has a bunch of decent guys and no huge role playmakers. Right? They have J.J. He's kind of going to be banged up. They have Merciless, McKinney, Cunningham, all decent guys, but nobody that I really want to be the stud of my defense. Justin Reed is a re- really promising free safety in this league. And then their corners are shaky. I get in, I, I like Gary Conley allowed 9.3 yards per target, a 118 passer rating, and six touchdowns. Lonnie Johnson, 8.3 yards per target, 127.7 passer rating, and four touchdowns allowed. And they lost Jonathan Joseph, who had 10 batted balls, pass breakups. You know, so it's like, ugh. Although there is Bradley Roby, man. When I turned on the tape, of the week one game against New Orleans, Bradley Roby played on Michael Thomas. And he actually did a pretty dang good job. I think he was seven receptions for 70 yards on Michael Thomas. And I don't think he allowed a touchdown. Which, if you're talking about for Michael Thomas, that's pretty dang good. Right? That's pretty that's pretty awesome. Let me just double check that. Yeah, seven targets for 76 yards, no touchdowns. Now, that's Michael Thomas. You know, that's one of the better receivers in the league, one of the harder guys to guard, and he did that. that that's decent, right? Now, the game that really – so he was flashing on tape. He was making tackles in the backfield. He was kind of flying all over the field. He was doing a really good job of covering Michael, covering Michael Thomas, and I was like, okay, Bradley Roby is looking really good right here because I didn't expect much from any of these guys coming in, right? And then I'm watching Bradley Roby, and I'm like, damn, okay. This kid's playing. The next game I turned on – was the Kansas City game. Now, on the first drive of the Kansas City game, you know what's crazy about that? Houston went down 21-0. 
wait, or was it 17 to three? They were down 17 to three at one point in the time. Early, like early, they went down pretty early and they end up coming back and winning that game. But anyway, so the first drive of that game, KC comes down, throws this crazy deep ball to Tyreek Hill, should have been intercepted by Justin Reed, goes right through his hands. Tyreek Hill catches it, fights under the end of the touchdown. You know who wasn't in coverage on him? Bradley Roby. They switch Bradley Roby onto him. He clamps him up, right? Where was this at? Four receptions for 55 yards. On Tyreek Hill, that's pretty damn amazing, right? Who stops Tyreek Hill like that? You know, he did a great job on Tyreek Hill. He was all over him, not allowing receptions. It was amazing. There were nine targets when Bradley Roby was targeting him, only four receptions. That's pretty awesome for one of the better receivers in the league. Now, I think he went down. He... um. Or they took he. I think he got hurt a little bit because then Tyreek Hill scored another touchdown that wasn't on Roby. But still, Roby did an amazing job on Tyreek Hill. And now I'm like, dang, this Roby dude can play. Played really well in the New England game. Played really well in that game. And then what was the other game I watched? Um, one he was out. It was a game that he was out. Oh, the Baltimore game. He missed the Baltimore game because he missed. He was he went out week six with a hamstring injury, I believe, and came back week 13 against New England. He was really good in that New England game. Covered Philip Dorsett a majority of the game, a little bit on Muhammad Sanu, too. He had an interception that almost went for six. Yeah, he played really well that game. But anyway, the Baltimore game where Bradley Roby was out, they ended up giving 41. Now, they might have given up 41 to the Ravens anyway, but Bradley Roby played phenomenal last season. Now, in the playoff game, he was getting a little bit picked apart by John Brown in the first half of the game, but then, then he turned it around and played well in the second half. So Bradley Roby is definitely corner one on this team. And look at some of the stats. 6.3 yards per target, which was 11th in the game. 94.7 pass, passer rating allowed, which was 21st. He did allow four touchdowns, but again, had a good game against Hill, only allowed 55 yards. His catch rate allowed was 55.9, which was 15th in the league. And according to Player Profile's coverage rating, which is a stat that I bring up a lot when I'm talking about corners, he has a coverage rating of plus 23.6, which is 16th in the league. Now, I'd like to give you the other stats first before I just bring in this rating, right? Because a lot of times you don't know where this rating's coming from, right? So if I if I can show you other stats that show that he's a decent guy, then I bring up this rating, it kind of just reassures me. But if I just throw you the rating... You know, you know what? Well, what is the rating? Are you just using it to make him look like a good dude? No, look at some of the stats Roby put up last season. He played really well. He's super physical. He's a great tackler, getting into the backfield, and a pretty pretty decent coverage guy. I'd probably put him as a top twenty-five corner in football. But you want better than that as your corner one? But maybe he's top twenty, getting into that fifteen range. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, I was I was really um, fond of Roby when I turned on the couple of games of Houston that I watched before the podcast. Now, looking at the stats kind of in-depthly, passing, they were 12th in the league. In rushing, they were 9th in the league. Now, they were 9th in yards per attempt with 4.6. So that's pretty good. They were efficient running the ball. They weren't just smash-mouthing the football. They were pretty efficient with it, too. And like I said, when I was watching it and they got Carlos Hyde going, he was, they were far more effective when they had Carlos Hyde in the game. Now, they're not a team like Minnesota or, excuse me, San Francisco who's going to run to set up the pass. It seemed a little bit different with Houston. It seemed like Houston was passing, which thus set up the runs. I don't know how many 
um, runs Carlos Hyde faced with the stacked box, but I doubt it was – I bet it was very little compared to other people. But And then in terms of defense, they had one of the worst pass defenses in the league, 29th in the league with 269 yards allowed. And rush defense, they were 24th, so still not very good there. But, yeah, and then they had the loss of Jonathan Joseph. So I'm worried about the secondary this season because Conley and Johnson don't give me a lot of hope. You know, Conley can be a decent cornerback, but he needs to improve on passer rating and yard per, yards per target. You know, wasn't great last year, but it was, a, it was a changing season. He got traded midway through the season from Oakland to Houston, so maybe a whole year with this defense getting acclimated to the type of scheme they play. Maybe, maybe you can have a decent one-two punch with Roby and Conley. Lonnie Johnson, super physical on the tape. I watched Adam guarding Travis Kelsey for a little bit in that KC game. He's young. He can develop. But the secondary schedule, other than Justin Reed, they don't have much of safety. You know, they let Tashawn Gibson walk. And so I'm worried about this secondary getting just absolutely picked apart. And I don't know if Whitney Merciless and Brennan Scarlett are exactly the pass rush off the edges that is going to help this subpar secondary get that much better. Um, let's go ahead and get into the draft class now. Their draft class, um, they gave, what was it, two first-round picks for Loremi Tunsil, which was kind of a lot, in my opinion. I didn't think, I think they could have probably got him for less. But anyway, so essentially they used half a first-rounder on Loremi Tunsil because they gave up two. So I explained that horribly. They gave up a first-rounder for Loremi Tunsil. But it's not like the Minka Fitzpatrick one where I talked about with the Steelers how they essentially drafted Minka Fitzpatrick in the first round. That didn't really happen here since they gave up two. But anyway, so you could think about they got half of an offensive tackle, I guess, <laughs> in the first round. Then they got Ross Blacklock um, in the second round, pick 40. I liked this pick a lot. A lot of people said that he had potential to go earlier, maybe late first round. And I definitely think he was the fourth best interior defensive line, you know, number one. Derek, Derek Brown, for sure. Ken Law, second, without a doubt. I would have had Marlon Davidson at three, and then Ross Blacklock probably would have been my guy right here. So I liked this pick. I thought they definitely got a first-round caliber guy in the second round in a position they need because realistically in this 3-4 scheme, he's probably going to shift over to end. He weighs about 300 pounds, and D'Angelo, or Angelo Blackson, who is a defensive lineman for... Houston currently he um is about 320 pounds and a little bit shorter I think so I think they're going to move blacks in the nose and they're going to move Ross Blacklock out to kind of a kind of a defensive end in this 3-4 scheme in the third round pick 90 so it's almost a whole 50 picks before they get to pick again they pick Jonathan Grenard an edge rusher out of Florida um didn't watch a lot of tape on him but I heard good things about scouts from him you know so Interesting there. It's nice edge depth and possibly a replacement for Scarlet or Merciless if they're thinking about moving on from one of them soon. So it's a good developmental ad pick. I like it a lot. Then in the fourth round, pick 126, Charlie Heck, offensive tackle UNC. This pick I like more than the Grenard pick because Heck is a huge guy. He's 6'8", like 320. And for such a huge guy, he moves really well. I watched a little bit of tape on him. Not a lot where I know everything about him, but I watched a little bit of tape on him. And for such a huge body, he moves really well. Very similar to Makai Becton. As much as I crapped on Makai Becton throughout the whole draft process, anybody who knows me knows I hated Makai Becton a lot. 
didn't think he should have been a first-round pick, or at least a late first-round pick at that. But this guy reminds me a lot of Mekhi Becton in his ability with size and being able to move with that size. Some guys are way smaller, way shorter, and they can't even move with the size they have. You have this 6'8", like 320 beast who can move well, and footwork is a little bit of concern, but he that's something that you can coach up, right? You can't coach up 6'8 in long arms. So I liked that pick. That Other than Blacklock, heck, I like Tech a lot more than the Grenard pick. Fourth round, cornerback out of Penn State, John Reed. Don't know much about him. In the fifth round, some wide receiver out of Rhode Island, Isaiah Coulter. That was a weird pick to me because do we really think he's going to make the roster? Now, I'm not crapping on this guy. I've never watched any tape on him. But you already have five receivers who would probably be a number two on most teams. And then you have guys that you've already had in the system. I don't know. That seemed like a really weird pick to me in the fifth. If you're going to spend on a lot, either trade it away or use it on, you know, backup linemen, if that's going to be your last pick in the draft, you know? It's way better to just draft offensive linemen late because they're most likely going to get you the same thing. As an offensive lineman, you're going to sign in free agency for a lot more money. Even if you don't want to, you're still going to have to pay these guys probably like $2 million for a backup lineman. Then you can get backup linemen in the draft for rookie contracts. You know, it's definitely better to draft your backup linemen rather than sign them in free agency. So overall, decent draft class. Only one guy who's really going to make an impact this year, in my opinion. Charlie Heck, a developmental guy. Grenard, rotational developmental guy. They don't love their draft class, but if you want to look at it as they're investing in Laramie Tunsil with their first-round pick, then I guess you could justify it a little bit more. But I don't know. wasn't huge on it. Let's go to the offense a little bit. Offensive line is definitely improving from where it once was. You know, Laramie Tunsil, left tackle, one of the better left tackles in the league, and he still has some developing to go, so I like that a lot. Max Sharping, he was the first-round pick a year ago, along with Titus Howard, who's playing right tackle. So those pair of first-round picks. Was Titus Howard a first-round pick? I want to say he was. But anyway, they invested a lot into the offensive line two years ago in Sharping and Howard. Maybe Howard was a third because Atlanta was a team that picked two crappy offensive linemen. Not not crappy. Lindstrom was decent. But um, the other guy, what was his name? I can't even remember his name, but that was kind of a weird – Draft pick at tackle, the Atlanta picked. Anyway, sorry, tangent. So, Sharping and Titus Howard are nice investments on the offensive line. Nick Martin, below average center, Zach Fulton, average guard. I think you're fine with that. So, the offensive line is starting to kind of, you know, have some semblance to it, which is nice. But one thing that I really noticed when I was watching it is they had, they, and they weren't the best, right? Nobody expects Houston's offensive line to be Dallas or, Pittsburgh caliber, but one thing I noticed is they would get beat on one-on-ones and normal four-man rushes sometimes, but on the blitzes, they did a horrible job. One, identifying blitzes, and two, having protections to counter blitzes, right? So I don't know how many times they came out in empty sets and the defense probably audible to a blitz and Deshaun was running for his life and ended up getting sacked, or how many times they didn't keep anybody in there in blitzing situations, even for just a chip block from a tight end or anything like that. So a little bit on the coaching and a little bit on the offensive line for not identifying problems. Um, Yeah, that was main, my main problems with the offensive line. Tight ends, they have Jordan Aikens and Darren Fells. Darren Fells actually had a really surprising season last year. 
he was he was 10th in red zone receptions from tight ends. No, 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 no. He had 10 red zone receptions from tight ends, which was third amongst the position, and seven total touchdowns, which was third now. He didn't have a lot of overall production, but a nice red zone threat. And I think he's definitely going to get a lot more opportunity because you look at Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb, Kiki Cutie. What are all they? Burner. What, what are they all? What are all they? Jesus Christ, man. What's wrong with me today? Oh, my God. <laughs> Horrible grammar going on today. Man. Gosh, that was awful. Horrible. But anyway, what they all are, are burners, right? Speedsters. Let me get down the field. Let me zoom, 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 which is, which is, I'll get into how that's really beneficial for Deshaun Watson. But what happens when you get into the red zone? You lost your power back in Carlos Hyde, and it's going to rely on Darren Fells. He's, I believe, 6'7", 6'8". And that shows he had 10 red zone receptions, 7 touchdowns. I think that number is going to inflate. So what I'm telling you is if you are in a deep fantasy league, let's say a 16, 20 team league and you need a backup tight end or shoot, maybe even um, it's a two tight end league or something. Darren Fells might be your guy. I think he's definitely going to have a lot of touchdowns and red zone receptions. Now, not a lot to the point where he's leading the league in touchdowns or anything, but the leader I want to say was Kenny Galladay with, 14 or 11. Let me check that. Reception TD leaders. Don't give me all time. I hate when it does that. It'll give me all time, and I'm looking at, like, Randy Moss. Like, I know he didn't play in 2019. What's going on here? Well, that's loading. Um, Leaders in leaderboards. Receiving touchdowns. Come on. Um... This is annoying. Receiving touchdowns. Kenny Galladay with 11. So he was four off of the league leader. But anyway, so I, I like Fell's potential this year as maybe a deep fantasy sleeper and the primary red zone target for the team. Now, wide receiver is kind of a crapshoot because you have a lot of guys with a lot of potential, right? Will Fuller, he was a former first-round pick. Brandon Cooks flourished with pretty much every team he's been on. He's been really good. Kenny Stills, good deep threat. Randall Cobb, well, we know where Randall Cobb is. He's been in the league for a while. QQQT has shown some flashes when injuries have happened to the receiving core before. But it's it's worrisome for me because Will Fuller, he only played 11 games in 19 and 7 games in 18. Now, the one thing that I do like about these guys is their average target distance. Now, average target distance is exactly what it sounds like. The average distance that your target is. So, like, if you want a slant, your average target distance isn't going to be big. <clears throat> Michael freaking Thomas. I was looking at it. Um, I was getting stats for all of this stuff. And Michael Thomas is like 70th in yards per reception or something like that. It's bad. It's, it's freaking hilarious. I was just cracking up. I was like, man, bum. Anyway, enough of me crapping on Michael Thomas. We all know I hate him. His average yard. His average target distance was 14.8 yards, which was 12th in the league. Kenny Stills had a yards per target of 10.2, which was 7th in the league. So these are these are guys who like the deep ball and are getting a lot of deep passes and running a lot of deep routes. Brandon Cooks is where I have a lot of problems. You know, I, I talked about Will Foley's injury concerns. You know, Kenny Stills, I don't think anybody really expects him to be a wide receiver one, so he's more of a compliment. Um, Brandon Cooks, though. So in 2018, he had five 100-yard games. So this was two years ago, and he was with the Rams. Really good. Absolute stud. 
However, in three games this year, there was a three-game stretch. I want to say it was like week three, four, and five. He had 17 receptions, 257 yards. That doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it seems like a decent amount. Don't exactly remember what his season stats were here. I can pull it up. Brandon Cook's stats. But anyway, those 17 receptions were 40% of the receptions he caught all season. And those 257 yards were 49% of the total amount of yards that he had in the entire season. He had 583 yards and two touchdowns last year on 42 receptions. I don't know who needs to hear this, but that's not very good. And he wasn't even hurt. That's the crazy thing. He played in 14 games. 14 games. That's nearly a whole damn season. And you're going to put up 583? That's horrible. That's like downright atrocious. So I'm worried about this receiving core. Everybody wants to say it's super talented. It is. It is. But are they going to stay on the field? Do we expect Will Fuller to play 14 games? Probably not. We're probably looking at closer to 10 for Will Fuller. Brandon Cooks, is he just going to have a hot game or two and then be done? Banged up maybe? I don't know. Kenny Stills, he's probably the most consistent. Randall Cobb, like the receiving course carries for the reasons I just stated. Now, Brandon Cooks also has a nice average target distance of 14.1. Let me get into how that helps Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson was fourth in the league in deep ball attempts. He had 81 deep ball attempts. Don't know who was ahead of him, but that's pretty freaking crazy. And watching it, too, he took a lot of deep shots, and a lot of them paid off. You know, a lot of times his guys were open. He either connected or it was just shy or good coverage or anything. But this guy can sling the deep ball. I think he's best as a deep ball passer. His completion percentage on the deep ball was good, too. He was eighth with a 42% deep ball completion percentage. That's pretty good. That's almost. We'll round up to say We'll round up to saying almost, so it's almost half. You see what I'm not rounding up to half. I'm rounding up to saying it's almost half. So he almost had 50% deep ball completion percentage, which is pretty much a 50-50 ball when you toss it up. If you want to think about it like that, and now everybody says you're just tossing it up, it's always a 50-50 ball. Mm, No, it's not. It's really not. How much easier it is for you to just swat the ball and it, fall somewhere rather than having to grab the ball and prevent that ball from touching the floor or you going out of bounds while retaining possession of it. Which one's harder? Swatting it down like your shack or catching, bringing that thing in and retaining possession for the whole motion of the catch. I would say deflecting the ball. So for you to be able to actually make that damn near 50, 50 in your completion percentage, it's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And Deshaun Watson's really good under pressure, too. His pressured completion percentage was fourth in the league with 44.8. That's pretty good. That's I like that, especially with your offensive line struggles, right? Titus Howard got a little bit picked apart last season on the games that I watched. And especially with how much they're going to blitz you guys because it looks like you're either unwilling to block six or your coaches, I don't know what the problem is, but they couldn't stop blitzes last year. And if he's able to throw under that pressure, that's definitely something that you want to see. You know, you never want to see your quarterback getting pressured and sacked. But if he is good under pressure, then you're fine with that. Look at Russell Wilson in Seattle. You know, somewhat of a similar situation, if you want to really think about it like that. 
So really the wide receivers here with the vertical deep shots help a lot for Deshaun Watson and really play into who he is as a quarterback. Now, I think they could have still done that with DeAndre Hopkins being in there as he is a very good contested catch, strong, deep threat guy. And I think he's a more well-rounded wide receiver than any of these guys. Now, looking at the running back room, like I was saying, I think it's a damn shame that they let Carlos Hyde go because they were playing so well when they were letting Carlos Hyde run and do his thing. But they brought in David Johnson, and we know David Johnson has some potential. You know, what? let me see. Because he had that crazy season when he ended up signing that extension, Johnson stats. But he he's had some good seasons, right? Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, he had that crazy 2016 where he went for 1,200 rushing yards and 16 touchdowns along with – oh, here, let me just pull up the whole stats. 373 touches, 2,100 yards, and 20 touchdowns, and that's all together. That's pretty crazy. Where, where was it? Four, yeah, he had 800 receiving yards that season. That's pretty good. Then in 2017, he only played one game. He broke his wrist. I drafted him in fantasy that year. Pissed me off. But then in 2018, he again has a decent season. You know, not the same as he had that one year, but he has 308 touches, almost 1,400 yards. He had 1,386 and 10 touchdowns. You know, he cut the touchdowns in half, but that's still not a bad year. Then he comes out. He plays 13 games last season, but he gets hurt. Kenyon Drake comes in, outperforms him, and he ends up having a crappy season last year. Well, now we know David Johnson can play some football. You know, he's a, he's a good running back. He's kind of big, actually. 6'1", 224 pounds. Jesus Christ, 6'1", 224 pounds? What? Oh, my God. I didn't realize he was so big. Holy crap. Let me see if he is a – I think he might be bigger – Oh, my God. He's the same height and he weighs more than Adrian Peterson. What? 224 pounds? Damn, David Johnson. What have you been doing in quarantine? He might be on the Big Ben. I don't know. You heard about those reports from Big Ben? I'm not going to laugh at that. I'm not going to laugh at that. Big Ben is probably doing what we've all been doing in quarantine. Let's keep it honest, dude. Let's keep it honest. Take Take a little reflection out of yourself. Look in the mirror and tell me you haven't been suffering from Big Ben syndrome especially if you're over 21. We know. We know, dude. Quarantine's been hitting us all the same. Come on. Anyway, big-ass David Johnson now, who I guess he's been going through the Christian McCaffrey workout. He's big now, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, he's more of a receiving back, a shifty type of guy. We know that. That's his perception. And that's exactly what Duke Johnson did for this team last year. right? Duke Johnson was that kind of get-out-in-space shifty guy. I d- <clears throat> If they wouldn't have given up DeAndre Hopkins, I wouldn't have been like, what the hell are you doing? And maybe I'd be like, I'm excited to see what David Johnson has to do here. I still am excited for what David Johnson has to do here. I think he's going to be the the primary back, and Duke Johnson is going to be more of a backup rather than like Hyde and Johnson were kind of complimentary. I think it's going to be David Johnson's show with Duke Johnson kind of being his backup. I hate that they both had to bring in D. Johnson. It's like It's just so irritating. Like, especially when I've been doing a bunch of mock drafts and you see one and you're like, is this Duke Johnson or David Johnson? So you have to like click, open the profile. It's like, damn, like I would have just like to press the button that says draft. You know what I mean? So I was like, Houston wanted to bring in two D Johnson running backs. But anyway, I'm excited to see what David Johnson can do in this offense. 
I think he can be a thousand yard rusher and maybe 500 yard receiving with a good amount of touchdowns. So it's going to be cool to see what he does. Now, like I said, they shouldn't have given up DeAndre Hopkins for him. I don't care how good you think David Johnson is. I don't even know if I would give up DeAndre Hopkins in a fourth for like McCaffrey. Now, maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe for like McCaffrey, Zeke, Derrick Henry. But it's like, really, dude? Really? David Johnson in a fourth? So it just makes me like hate David Johnson. It's like, really? You're you're the D Hop replacement? Yeah, go play wide receiver, jackass. Like, really? That's what you that's what we're gonna do? We're gonna have David Johnson? Replace DeAndre Hopkins, it's not going to happen. And I think that's where a lot of problems are going to come in on this offense. I don't know if David Johnson replacing Carlos Hyde makes this running game that much better. I really don't. This dude got benched. Now, Kenyon Drake was playing amazing and fit the scheme a little bit better. But I don't know. I don't know if David Johnson. I don't know if the Johnson & Johnson, the lotion company, is better than Hyde & Johnson. Because Hyde was good last year, man. What, the games I watched, I liked what he was doing. Now, maybe I just watched the best games of him. I don't know. But I don't know if – and then you lost T-Hop. So your receiving core got worse no matter who you brought in. I mean, unless you brought in Michael Thomas or Julio. But your receiving core got worse. You have nice deep threats for Watson, but are they going to be on the field? Are they going to be consistent? It's a lot of variables going on with this offense right now. I think they are moving in the right direction with the offensive line and Deshaun Watson, but just the weapons around him, question marks, right? Aikens, Fells. Fells is going to be a nice red zone guy, especially because they lack that with DeAndre Hopkins being gone. So you have a red zone guy. You have your deep threats. Are they going to stay healthy? Are they going to be consistent? You know, that was, that was a problem with Cooks last year. He wasn't consistent. Cooks isn't consistent. Fuller isn't healthy. So your number one receiver, if you want to really think about it in the way that I'm thinking about it, is Kenny Stills. Uh, uh, Kenny Stills is your wide receiver one. But even then, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb, and Kiki QT is a pretty decent wide receiver core if you want to just take out the two inconsistent and injury dudes. But it's not DeAndre Hopkins. It's not. And I think we're really going to see what you're made of, Deshaun Watson. I'm a huge Deshaun Watson fan. I like him a lot. I think he's uber-talented. I think he would serve way better to get a new coach in there, starting to get some semblance of an offensive line, you know. So I like Deshaun Watson, but I think he's going to have a rough season this year. Adjusting to life without DeAndre Hopkins, without your wide receiver one that you've had for your whole career. It's Think about it like you go to work every day, right? You go to work. You go to work. You do your job. Now, what if you went to work and they took away your computer, right? They took away your computer. And they give you this crappy, like, have you ever seen those, like, Russian computers that the space programs were using back in the 60s? Imagine you have to use one of those. You can still do your job, but it's going to be a pain in the ass. And you're going to have to adjust to using this new crappy computer, right? That's kind of how I see Deshaun Watson and his offense this year. It's a crappy computer. It's an older computer. Can you use it, Deshaun Watson? Are you reading... Russian space computers from the 1960s for dummies. Are you reading that book this offseason? Because you need it, Deshaun Watson. Work on your Cyrillic. It's going to be important for you this year, man. The defense. The defense. The defense. The defense. I already talked about some of my complaints with the secondary. Oh, and one more note on the offense. They ran um, three wide receiver, one one personnel, one tight end, one running back. A lot. 
64%. Now, that's kind of the base offense right now in the league. However, an interesting little note is they ran 1-2 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends, two wide receiver personnel, a lot. Now, I think this number is definitely going to go down. They ran at 30%, which I want to say was like fourth or fifth in the league. It was definitely top 10, and I want to say it was closer to – third, fourth, or fifth in the league at 30% in 1-2 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends, Um, which is interesting because, you know, two tight ends with Aikens and Phils, not exactly Philly. I think Philly was number one with that, but they have Goddard and Ertz, you know, and I think that number is going to go down, and I truly believe if everybody's healthy, we're going to see a lot more four wide receiver sets with this team. Right. I could see it becoming a Washington State, Texas A Texas Tech, not Texas AM, air raid type thing. With all the receivers that you have in here, why would you not throw four dudes out there every time? Because they're they're your best players. Does anybody want to say that Darren Fells is better than Kenny Stills? No. So get your best players out there, run four wides a lot, move your running back around, play him in the slot, play him here, play him there, and pass, pass, pass. Use the pass game as a run game, essentially. It sounds really weird, but that's what Washington State does. I watch a lot of Washington State football. That's what Mike Leach and his air raid does. They rarely run the ball. But you can pass as your runs, right? A little screen pass, a little shovel pass here. You know, get it out in space. Spread them out. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how they use all of these wide receivers. Now, looking at their defense, we talked about their defense kind of sucked. Um, and talent is a big thing that worries me. You know, I think Justin Reed's talented. I think Bradley Roby showed he was very talented. JJ Watt's talented. Other than that, you have good guys, not great. Conley, McKinney, Cunningham, Merciless. So this is a big question mark for me, is this defense. Are they going to be able to come together and be elite? This team played a lot better when they had Bradley Roby. You know, is JJ Watt going to be able to return to what he was getting 15, 16 sacks a season, and being one of the best defensive players in football. This defensive, I like this defensive line a lot. Don't get me wrong. J.J., Blackson, and Blacklock, I think that's going to be a very nice defensive line. The rest of it scares me. Thomas, I don't know anything about this guy named Thomas at Strong Safety. McKinney and Cunningham, they were flying around the field and making the plays. They're decent linebackers there. Edge rusher. I would not want Whitney Merciless and Brendan Scarlett to be my two guys. Whitney Merciless stats. Here we go. Last season, Merciless had seven and a half sacks. That's good. That's good. Not great. You know, his best season came in 2016. Or no, probably 2015. He had 12 sacks. 16 QB hits, 14 TFLs. But this year, seven and a half sacks, nine TFLs, 16 quarterback hits. Don't love it. Don't love that as my premier edge guy. You know, and maybe I'm spoiled with my favorite team. We have a dominant edge presence. So maybe I'm just nitpicking here because I really don't like this Houston team. The talent is a big thing that worries me on this defense. You know, they could all come together and kind of be like a Tennessee situation. But do we really expect anything from this Houston coaching staff? Vrabel showed he's a kick-ass coach, and that's why Tennessee did the things they did last season. You may want to say Derrick Henry. Okay. Maybe Derrick Henry. Maybe Ryan Tannehill. The number one reason is Mike Vrabel. Dude was a beast in the playoffs last year. 
play calling like a monster. If Patrick Mahomes wasn't the freak of nature that he was and scores that insane touchdown at the end of the first half, we may be looking at the Niners playing the Titans in the Super Bowl, and who knows how the hell that goes. But do we really trust this defense to, like, this coaching staff, which has been subpar for so long, to kind of bring it all together and make this defense perform better than what they should be performing as? I don't think so. Are we really expecting this coaching staff to make the most out of this talented receiving core that they have? I don't think so. I don't think so. It worries me a lot, this coaching staff, and that's where a lot of my problems come from. If I was looking at this roster and you told me I had a dominant coaching staff, I'd be a lot more optimistic. Spoiler alert, that's why you haven't heard New England yet. That's why you haven't heard a podcast on New England. Simply because I believe that the coaching staff can make a mediocre team play better. That's it. This is a mediocre roster, especially on defense. And I don't trust the coaching staff to make these guys play good. They're in a tough division. Indianapolis, great coaching, talented roster. Tennessee, great coaching, eh, a, a decent roster. Houston is a decent roster and crappy coaching. That's why I have them here. Win total is at seven and a half. And like I said before, I think we're more likely to see Houston with a top 10 draft pick next year than we are to see them in the playoffs. I really do. I really do. And I feel bad for Deshaun Watson. Because if he just had some decent coaching, man, if you just gave this roster decent coaching, they'd be good. Bill O'Brien has to be on the hot seat. He does. 52 and 44 as a head coach. You're an offensive guy and you've never had a top 10 offense. Imagine if Mike Zimmer, Mike Zimmer, defensive guy, right? We all know Mike Zimmer is a defensive guy. What if he never had a top 10 defense? I think he'd be gone from Minnesota. Zimmer's thing is defense, and he's always kept an amazing defense out on that field, even when they were banged up and, you know, their offense was horrible. He still had them with an amazing defense. That's why Zimmer has stayed. You know what I mean? Bill O'Brien, you cannot keep sinking this team, this team could be so much better with a good coach. You can't keep dragging a team down, not even performing on the side of the ball you're supposed to be performing on, and keep your job. He has to be on the hot seat. Even if Houston makes the playoff, loses in the wild card, I think he has to be gone. I think Bill O'Brien has to be done after this season, almost no matter what the outcome is, except for an AFC championship game appearance in which they play really well. That's just my take on Bill O'Brien. I think he's absolutely horrible. Win total, seven and a half. If I had to bet, this is a tough one, and I probably wouldn't bet on it. It's very similar to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was, I think, nine, and that one was like, oh, nine and a half. Yeah, so that one was kind of interesting on whether to go over or under. I'm taking the under, honestly. Five to six wins for this team. They have a top ten draft pick next season. Bill O'Brien's gone. They start reforming the defense because this Houston team was best when they had a good defense before they had Watson. And now they get Watson and their defense starts to lack. So I think they need to rebuild the defense. Deshaun Watson will help that offense be decent almost no matter what they have there. I think he has that Russell Wilson effect to an extent. But then again, like I said, we got to see how he does on that rushing computer. Not the DeAndre Hopkins iMac. Is it still called an iMac or do they just call it Max now? I don't even know, man. Accolades, baby. MVP, for the exact reason I just said, I think he's going to make the offense better no matter what. He gets both MVP and offensive player. Defensive player, you guys are going to think I'm 
absolutely nuts. I put Bradley Roby, man, just because J.J. Watt, he's getting older. You know, he's, I, even if he is healthy for the whole game, I don't know if he's going to be super impactful. Actually, he is. If he's healthy for 16 games, he's going to get like 13, 14 sacks. But, yeah, I just really liked what Bradley Roby showed on the tape. So I put him as the defensive player. Call me crazy. Rookie of the year, Ross Blacklock. I think he's the only rookie who's going to really make an impact this year. X-Factor and Kiad, both David Johnson. If David Johnson can kind of emerge as a 1,000-yard rusher with about 800 receiving yards and like 15 touchdowns, then he boosts this offense up a lot. So, yep, that's kind of how I feel about the Houston Texans right now. Monday. Who do we have for Monday? We have another team that's in the division. Well, we've already won over Jacksonville. Today we did Houston. What are the other two teams? Indianapolis and Tennessee. Who do you think we have for Monday? Indianapolis or Tennessee? Let me know. If you listen to the whole pod, you'd know exactly who I have next. Think about it. Anyway, thank you for tuning in. Love you guys so much for you know listening, giving me about an hour of your day just to listen to me talk. You know, it's really nice to know that people are supporting and just listening to the pod and taking the time to appreciate, even if you don't love it, the job that I'm doing on these. So, yeah, it's really awesome. Thank all of you for listening. And, yeah, just enjoy your day. Have a great weekend. Peace and love. Hope you guys are staying safe. See you.